0: From Religion News Service, This is Beliefs, an exploration of ideas behind the news of religion. I'm Bill Baker. Coming up in this episode, a conversation with filmmaker Tom Lennon. The documentary Sacred is a collaboration of more than 40 filmmakers worldwide and a sweeping exploration of faith and practice across humanity. Guiding the film through years of production, was the work of today's guest, filmmaker Thomas Lennon. Sacred is set to premiere on PBS Monday, December 10th. Tom Lennon is here to talk about the making of Sacred and the unique collaborations he spearheaded, just after these headlines from Religion News Service.
1: From Religion News Service with these headlines, I'm Jay Woodward. A special session of the United Methodist Church voted to strengthen the denomination's ban on the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ people. Delegates to the general conference, the global denomination's decision-making body, passed the so-called traditional plan by a vote of 438 to 384. Passage of the traditional plan left both its supporters and opponents alike worried about the future of the nation's second-largest Protestant denomination, and raises the possibility of a large split in the general congregation. Three bishops from the Episcopal Diocese of New York have written an open letter to their clergy and parishioners to protest a request by the Archbishop of Canterbury, The Archbishop requested two American gay bishops not bring their spouses to the Anglican Communion's Lambeth Conference in July of 2020. All three New York bishops have decided to attend, citing their wish to maintain a voice for the Diocese of New York at the conference regarding sexuality and the inclusion of LGBTQ people. The most senior Catholic cleric ever charged with child sex abuse has been convicted of molesting two choir boys in Australia. Cardinal George Pell, Pope Francis's top advisor and the Vatican's economy minister, received a unanimous verdict in December of 2018. The court had forbidden the publication of details until this week. The jury convicted Pell of abusing two 13-year-old boys whom he had caught swigging sacramental wine in a rear room of Melbourne's St. Patrick Cathedral in late 1996, and also of indecently assaulting one of the boys in a corridor more than a month later. Pell had maintained his innocence throughout, describing the accusations as vile and disgusting conduct that went against everything he believed in. The allegations of sexually inappropriate words and actions against founder of Willow Creek Community Church Bill Hybels are credible. That's according to an independent group of Christian leaders advising the church. Heibel's alleged behavior, directed mostly at women connected to the Chicago-area megachurch, took place at various points during his more than four decades of leadership. Hybels has publicly and privately denied allegations of misconduct, according to the report. After Heibel stepped down, the church's elders admitted that he had sinned and called on him to apologize. All the church elders and Heibel's successors eventually resigned over their handling of the issue. And Jewish and Muslim communities in Belgium are seeking to overturn a recent ban on the ritual slaughter of animals they say is discrimination cloaked in an animal protection mantle. More than 50 religious groups have lodged complaints with the county's constitutional court in the hope of repealing the new legislation. The Muslim halal and Jewish kosher rituals require that animals should be in perfect health when they are slaughtered by having their throats slit and their blood drained, Under a new law, animals will have to be rendered unconscious or stunned before being killed, a method that animal rights activists argue is more humane. For Religion News Service, I'm Jay Woodward.
0: Academy Award winner Thomas Lennon is the director of the new film Sacred, to be aired on PBS this December 10th at 10 p.m. For full disclosure, I was the concept creator and executive producer. Tom, welcome and Tell us what your thoughts were when you accepted this assignment to direct and make this movie.
2: Uh, As you know, I I hesitated a good while because it's such a vast topic. And uh, I I I had to think about whether I could add something. And then I I talked to a variety of friends of mine. It was interesting. Uh, Sort of New York, um, I guess you'd call them in the chattering classes, you know, writers uh, people in television, journalists and so forth. And they were so universally skeptical of like, well, I mean, are, are you going to do an investigation of the Vatican? I mean, are you going to talk about ISIS? And, and none of which was really in the making. I thought to myself, you know, if everybody is this doubtful, that's exactly why I should do it. because the you know we as journalists, we carry our skepticism very proudly and I think often correctly. But there are also times when that can stand in the way of exploring the, the experience of faith. And that's what you were asking me to do, is to look not at the, the sort of things that generally make headlines, where, where religion and nationalism are married in some kind of toxic brew, all of which are big, big stories and important stories and worth covering. But you were asking me to look at it in a different way, and I thought that was a huge opportunity the more I thought about it.
0: Yeah, it's so hard to describe this film, and even when you see it, it's hard to describe it after you have seen it. Listen, I was
2: working on it for a year and a half, and I I, was struggling still at the end to describe what it was I was doing.
0: One of the things I say when I I try to describe it is that there are 7.5 billion people on Earth. About 84% of those, or 6.3 billion, have faith, and it's that thing that gets them through life. How did you finally—can you describe the process, what, you know— That
2: alone what you just said is just such an overwhelming argument to not just look at the thing politically, which is how religion is covered, you know, 95% of the time. And it's not that those political issues aren't important. Of course, they're enormously important in terms of our recent election here, in terms of the turmoil in the Middle East. All those things are incredibly important. But you're talking about the primary experience, a primary, primary experience of 6.3 billion people. How can you not try to have people explicate how they make use of that faith on a day-to-day basis, to navigate either the milestones of daily life, like like marriage, or or of course the biggest milestone of all, which is death, or the uh, or the just the smaller crises and and, and decisions of, of daily life. So, I think it's a huge gap in our media that uh, that absence of discussion, and that's where the opportunity was. How do I describe the film? I describe the film as an examination. Of how people make use of faith to navigate the uh, daily decisions and the, also the crises of daily life.
0: You've described the idea. How did you ultimately make this film? Did you put a camera on your shoulder and go rolling around well, the world?
2: Well, part of the mandate when I when I got hired by by public television was that um, the. F- the, the, the film needed to be made in an unconventional way that they, they did not want that you know the standard thing which I did for 25 years and it's a it's a wonderful way to, to work is you know you, you you hire researchers you you decide on a story you you load up your um, your film equipment and then fly to corners of the earth and immerse yourself in that. but that's kind of 20th century and and I think you felt that that was part of the mandate and, and I and I was excited by the challenge of trying to work in a different way. And so I posed myself this question early on, which is, would it be possible to do a really world-class film, sweeping in scope, intimate in nature, in other words, don't compromise your standards one iota, and never Leave my office in New York? In other words, would it be possible to hire filmmakers all around the world? I did not, let me be clear about what I didn't want to do. didn't want to do a crowdsourced film where we send out a message saying, what, is, what does faith mean to you? And everybody sends in their little things and then I, I'm, I'm a little tougher than that. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to map the film out. I didn't want to be hostage to, I didn't want it to be a, a, an entirely democratic process. Uh, I wanted to, 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 to drive the show. But what if... Um, I could enlist great filmmakers all around the world who A. Grew up in that faith B. Speak that language, know that culture intimately and, 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 and give them little pieces of the film to carve out and make their own and then, and then pray and bite your nails that it's all going to hang together in the edit room and that's how we finally did it. I've never heard of a film being made that way. I'm proud as hell of the film being made that way I think when people look at it, and I, and I hope people do look at it, I think it's very worthwhile, and I think it's worthwhile on a human level. But also, check it out on a, on a technical level. I don't think you'll ever feel that 40 different filmmakers made that film. I think it hangs together as a whole. But that was a really fun uh, challenge. It was totally nail-biting because you're just pulling in this material, and you're saying to yourself, is this going to hang together in the edit room? And I think it did.
0: It's an extraordinary film with, as you say, 40 different filmmakers all over the world. And uh, no narration. No narration. Uh, All these different languages, all these different religions. How did you wind up selecting the religions, the filmmakers, the places? Uh, How did you do that?
2: Well, I was very lucky that the film did not have a deadline. Um, It had a a good, solid budget, Um, and what that enabled me to do is an incredible luxury, which is I spent six to eight months working with a small team, uh, doing tons of research, uh, and mapping out basically a kind of a storyboard for the whole film, based not on my ideas, but on what we found. And did all of that before hiring any any filmmakers. And the the concept of the film is it could not be simpler, which is to say, it moves forward in chrono- chronology from uh, the birth of a child uh, through to uh, not just uh, you know through marriage and 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 parenting and so forth. Um, through uh, death and then beyond that to the next generation, moving on. So it's utterly simple in structure. But the key was then to hopscotch all around the world and look at you know if we're looking at adolescence, we're going to look at it in a particular setting in a particular place, and um, we and then and then you see the extraordinary look. We're, this is what I mean about 21st century versus 20th century. It was so much fun. I can't tell you how much fun it was to get in touch with some filmmaker in Seville, because you know there's this extraordinary spectacle that's taking place in Seville, and saying, OK, here's the assignment. I want you to find three adolescents, actually five adolescents, of which I'm going to select one or two, and I want them to all be people of strong Catholic faith, and I want them all to be going through some kind of adolescent issue. Uh, and then." That filmmaker goes, you know, some often, most, many times I didn't even talk to them when it was all email or I would talk to them and then, you know, my Spanish was pretty mediocre. Their English wasn't great. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, I, I understand. I got it. And this kind of universal language of film starts to make itself felt. And then they're sending me via the Internet audio uh, 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 interviews with people they've done, and the, the efficiency and the reach of it was just staggering. And suddenly, I'm sitting there with a translation. I've never left my office in New York. I've got pictures of a, of a, a beautiful young kid who's 12 or a, or a girl who's 14, uh, and and describing an in intimate detail about the and, and and I'm I'm there, but I'm not there. And then the assignment goes, and then the footage comes in, and then you start to explore it. It's it's it was brutally hard work i really underestimated the scope of the work but my god uh, my god it was fun
0: is there some part of it that i mean you were doing all over the place all kinds of interesting angles of human existence anything that really rang a bell for you
2: i ended up loving all my children Mm -hmm. um and um but but for example you know i asked a uh, a, a New York filmmaker who spent a lot of time in a, in a Louisiana prison, the famous Angola prison in, in Louisiana, to go back down because he had very privileged access there and talk to people who had no prospect of coming out of prison and what faith meant to them. And the material was so staggering that I ended up making that like a seven or eight minute sequence in the film. I think that's a particular favorite where you see not just the resilience, but the extraordinary creativity of uh, people uh, in, uh, um, finding and insisting on meaning where the enormous temptation would be to say, "You know it's done. Mm-hmm. I've I, I blown it. it's all over." And instead, there's this other thing uh, going on, and uh, uh, so but you know, so much of it. Uh, and you know, I developed these intimate relationships with filmmakers who I never saw, and with subjects whom I never met.
0: When uh, when you took on this assignment, uh, you were never asked uh, whether you were a person of faith. That wasn't really relevant. You were a brilliant filmmaker, and that's what was required. Did it change your your look, outlook of faith after you finished this huge project?
2: Um, I was raised Protestant, and I went through a couple of different phases in my life, uh, in, in, my, in my teens and again in my early 20s, where religion was extremely important to me. And then it ended up becoming less important to me. Um, it's funny, I got that call when I think I was 63 or 64 years old, and um, inviting me to look at this. And I've always taken faith very seriously, I've never turned my nose up at it. And I think that that is, there's so much that I admire about my profession, but I think the kind of disdain with which the great majority of my peers and friends bring to that subject, I think, is deeply provincial in addition to being wrong. And so I was immediately intrigued. I'm not ducking your question. I would love to say that I was transformed by the experience, but I think all of us, those of us who have faith and those of us who don't, know that transformation is a very hard thing and that, that's, that I'm not going to claim that. But I will say that it was this extraordinary luxury at a particular time in my life where you know, I'm sort of entering the, the last third and I'm, you know, I, I've got a lot more time behind me than I have ahead of me, to luxuriate for a year and a half in the language of the spirit, in the preoccupations of the spirit, without, without, taking an ana- without taking an analytical or at least not a skeptical posture to it, that that was an extraordinary privilege. And I hope I'm a better person for it, but I think that those betterments are measured in tiny increments because I think becoming better is really hard don't you <laughs> I
0: do um, what was the role of music in this uh, in this production?
2: Ed Billows, like myself, takes faith very seriously. I never asked him what his particular uh religious uh, background or convictions are, but I could tell that he uh Uh, he he was very excited about doing this project and I was excited to work with him and what he and I decided early on is that we were going to work against expectation in terms of the instruments of the uh, uh, and the sound which is to say that for example we have a, 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 a a young young sweet boy in Pakistan who's maybe nine years old and we agreed, okay, there's not going to be a single like traditional Indian or Pakistani instrument in this score. And we ended up, for that particular scene, and which is another one of my favorite scenes in the film, uh, Ed delivered this kind of Bach-like violin, like you can't get more Western mm. than that. And because what we... And we were saying something with that. What we were saying is, darn it, there's a lot of this stuff that's universal. And what the, the kinds of sounds that um, Western c- canonical, if that's a word, of music is celebrating is something that is very close to what this boy is going through. And so we we're mixing up our, our musical instruments uh, all the way. That's number one. Number two, we never wanted to do a kind of what I think is a cheesy sort of like, oh, we're up in the clouds. No, mm-hmm. no, no. We wanted to be on this earth, with recognizable human experience being celebrated. Human religious experience, but human. And so uh, we didn't want you know shots of clouds with like the heavenly choirs. There is vocal sound in there, but it's, it's subtle. I think it's a film that somebody who is uh, religious or somebody who is not religious uh, can co- connect to uh, because And I wanted it that way, and two people might look at it and draw different conclusions from a different scene, but I wanted all of them to be able to connect with it as human experience. And he and I were very much in sync about that. And so that pointed us not just in the directions we wanted to go in, but in the directions we didn't want to go in, which is the sort of the obvious the choirs, the heavenly choirs.
0: The music is amazing, and as you say, <laughs> it's, it's different and uh, pretty pretty special. Very special. Uh, I think. You've dealt with dozens or more of uh, various faiths. What was, was there a commonness of all these faiths? What seemed to hang them together? What I mean, we're always criticizing faith because they're so different and in conflict with one another. But yet, in many ways, they're the same.
2: I think it was maybe 30, 40 years ago that every major intellectual who was looking at this issue was predicting that uh, between science and modernity you were going to see the eclipse of, of religion uh, in, increasingly so. And uh, that really has not panned out, has it? And, you know, it's, it, it's presumptuous of me to say why that is. But what I think you will see in the film... Is people in a very
1: practical,
2: concrete way making use of their faith to uh, achieve meaning and direction, and amid all the confident projections about modern life, you know, uh, you know, science. All the, all the very real achievements of science, all the very real achievements of a modern economy. It doesn't seem like the need for meaning has uh, vanished, does it?
0: <laughs> Thomas Lennon, we're lucky to have you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Our guest was Academy Award-winning filmmaker and director of the film Sacred, Thomas Lennon. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jonathan Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. You can find more episodes of this podcast on our website religionnews.com slash beliefs. Thanks for listening.